absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, episode of Leave the Pin podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and I've got my co-host, uh, the man who literally just got back from harassing Disney cast members on their miniature golf course, Scott. What's the good word? So I feel like I had to tell that story. So obviously, when Dan and I go places, you know, we like to promote the pod, and uh, you know, I'm a, a big fan of Disney and Disney World, so uh, that's a place that I go frequently, and I, I know my way around. And I knew where I was staying within walking distance, there's a miniature golf course. There's actually, it's a miniature golf course and a putting course, which is pretty cool. It was raining, so the course was closed, but whatever. I walked over there, and I said, hey, I do this podcast. I was wondering if maybe you would be interested in you know, recording me asking you what your favorite golf podcast is, you know, for Instagram. And he just looked at me and he's like, yeah, Disney cast members can't do that. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I understand that. Like, I, I get that. I don't want to, you know, put your job in jeopardy or anything like that. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I wouldn't ask anyone else around here either. I'll have to call security. I'm like, oh, okay. There's no one hey. else around. So I'll just leave. <laughs> Does, so. does that sour you on the mouse at all? Um, not really. Because, you know, one one person who uh, clearly had kind of a rough day, probably because he had to work all day. There's the place is closed. I mean, he's just there telling people to go away, essentially. So it's all good. OK. All right. Uh, um, hey. Uh, so you got back from a nice Orlando vacation. It was sunny. We're coming back to potential ice storm tonight. <laughs> it was it uh, was not sunny at all. It was like forty degrees the whole time I was there. <laughs> was it really? It was actually warmer here yesterday than it was the entire time I was down there. That uh, hey, sometimes the sunshine stay to let you down. You know it does. It does. Um, but you coming back to the big news and, and big news across the golf world is the USGA has released their two year investigation into the distance games gain, excuse me, in the game of golf, uh, the 2020 USGA distance report. Let me break it down. I'll summarize it very quickly for everybody. It is a hundred pages long, uh, anecdotal evidence of distances increasing over the years. Uh, testimony, et cetera, et cetera. It literally boils down to this. The USGA, quote, we have a problem with distance. Every generation thinking that they need to be longer and faster than the next generation is going to be a detriment to the game over the next decades. End quote. That is it. There is no solution. There is nothing else in this report that gives us any hope as to what might be done. Now, we'll get into some pros and cons in a little bit of it. But, Scott, after two years, and look, we knew this was coming out. Everyone knows it was coming out. Uh, maybe a lot of people didn't realize the research that went into it. But after two years of research and two years of their testing facility and working with manufacturers and working with top-level pros and amateurs, all the report tells us is that we have a distance problem. 
Um, out of curiosity, I don't know the answer, Scott, but what do you think conducting this report cost? Um, I would say for two years, they obviously had a bunch of people working on it. I would say it cost at least a million dollars minimum. Okay. Now, how much would the USGA and the RNA need to pay you in order to proclaim that golf has had a distance problem? How much would they have to pay me? Right. Or, or what would I say that in exchange for? Well, we know that it has had one. So in exchange for what amount of monetary compensation would you release the Staub report, the leave the pin report, which could be, um, let me see. Golf has a distance, five, five words. Golf has a distance problem. Correct. So here's the thing. I actually, uh, and obviously a million dollars would be nice and 50 bucks would be nice. But if they wanted me to do that, I would pretty much agree to do that for a rounded bandon or a pebble or a winged foot even. I, I mean, it, it yeah, wasn't hard to do. I just want a round of golf. Right. I don't want to bash the report. It, it's phenomenal that the the um, the overseers of the game <clears throat> want to dive so deeply into this problem that we do have. However, and, and hear me out, and I know there's a bunch of people that feel one way or the other, and you can't please everybody, and I'm not trying to, uh, but golf... I'm going to rephrase the report, Scott, if you will, quickly. Go for it. Golf at a high level. And by high level, I mean literally the men's professional game. I'm glad you said that. The highest levels of men's amateur golf. And I'm not talking even mid-am. I'm talking literally like the USAM, et cetera. That's it. Those two levels of golf have a distance problem. That accounts for what? 0.2% 0.2% of the golfing worldwide population, 99.8% of golfers out there still need to get longer, still want more distance. So I, I have a very big problem in, in using these generalized terms of golf as a game as a whole, meaning everyone under the umbrella that plays it has a distance problem. Because, frankly, it's just not true. Nope. Now. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Go ahead. See, here, here's, here, here's the thing. You and I are of an age, early 40s, where we have come up in the game from playing 240cc heads to what they are now. Uh, our three woods now were our drivers back in the day. And we got along fine. Play the correct set of tees. Don't feel like you have to tip everything out. And I and I think you're okay. Um, I do love the fact that the USGA went ahead with this and, and, and admitted things got off the rails at times. But again, like this holds no water for me, for you whatsoever, for our listeners whatsoever, realistically, because it's only focusing on the top tier guys. The driving distance of the LPGA has 
literally remain unchanged for the last eight years. There's some outliers. Of course, there's a Alexi Thompson here or there. There's a Michelle Wee when she was in her prime and still playing, you know, but they're, they're outliers. They, they, they're, they're freaks, if you will. You know, when, when you revert back to the mean, it hasn't changed. The guy's game has. And while we're at it, if we're talking about the elite level male players, we're literally only worried about distance increases and people that swing 110, 115 miles per hour, the club head speed, and above. Those are the ones that are really seeing the difference. So, again, to say golf has a problem, that I'm not in agreement with. I, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on it as well. So, first of all, you're 100% right. This is a problem for, like you said, high-level amateurs and men's professionals. For everyone else, you know what? It is actually a problem for them because everyone thinks they're a pro. Courses are designed around all these people who think they're pros. And the game gets more expensive because, you know, people have to... Uh, courses have to spend more money to take care of the courses. They equipment is constantly in this ridiculous cycle where new stuff is coming out. That's going to gain you an extra yard or two. Um, and in the meantime, in all honesty, you know, most, most amateurs, you know, the recreational players are not going to see that much functional improvement. Uh, you mentioned the women's game I really liked what the LPGA said. Uh, in their statement, which basically said, regarding the elite women's professional game, we do not see distance as a hindrance towards the growth of the LPGA Tour or to the courses on which we can compete. So, and in all honesty, it's not. They go out, they play courses. They play courses in a very similar manner to you and I and to, you know, decent recreational players such as ourselves. That's um, 100% correct. So, uh, and, and you know what, it's, and again, they're saying it's detrimental to the game. I, I somewhat agree with that because again, everyone thinks they're a pro. Everyone thinks they're way better than they are. And everyone thinks like they can go out and play from the tips because they have to play the, you know, the full course. You know what? You're not that good. Because if you were that good, you'd be, you know, a, a club champ at an elite course somewhere or playing in mid-ams or playing in the USM or playing on the PGA Tour. Honestly, everyone else, tee it up a little bit. All right. That's a great point you make, right? Everyone always over-exaggerates what they can do, and most of the time, physically, right? We live in a world full of lies where people don't want to accept responsibility for what truths are. Um, professional sports, uh, NFL players, right? NFL players literally are allowed to put in the media guide height and weight. Uh, here's a, I, I, I almost said it. I don't want to give away names just because I don't know if they want me saying it. I know tour pros that in the beginning of the year, when they get the media guide, they are asked height and weight. So if a guy is five, nine and he weighs a buck 60, what do you think he's going to be in the media guide, Scott? Mm, five, ten, and one seventy-five. Yeah, probably, and honestly, probably a little bit more. Probably five eleven. You know, and mm. and when people see 
Jordan Spieth and they see Ricky or they see Kepka out there and they say, damn, like he looks bigger on TV. Like I thought he was like 6'2, I thought he was 6'3 and like 240. No, that's all BS. Like literally, perception is reality. Okay. What you yeah. read all the time is not. So when you go out and Ricky's your height or he's shorter than you, because guess what? Ricky's 5'7. Like at max, he yeah, might be five, five, six and a half. And the dude might Rick, weigh a buck fifty. Maybe. Rick's about an inch shorter than me. So Right. Right. Um, and I'm not a tall guy at all. And and I stand next to Ricky, I stand next to Jordan. I'm like, oh, these dudes are literally built like me with with probably not as much muscle mass, but they might weigh a little bit more. And when people say, Hey, Brooks Kepka, man, built like a linebacker, that is bullshit. That's the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. You ever stand next to an actual linebacker? It's a mountain of a man. Yeah. Okay, Brooks Kepka is built like an average American. He's six foot and like 190 pounds. I think the average male is like 5'10 and like a buck 85. Yeah, and again, Kepka's in good shape and, you know, can probably put up some decent weight for a pro golfer. But again, if you stand next to him or around him, He's not that physically imposing. The same deal. I remember like two years ago, there was a whole conversation about, you know, Rory being too jacked for golf. Uh, okay. I saw him at a tournament not long after that report came out. And honestly, there's no way he's too jacked for anything. Right. Again, so he's, in, he's in good shape, but... He's not like, you know, running around like all, all, you know, cut up and everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, you need to have functional range of motion and movement. You can't be too muscle bound. But I think anything that we can throw on the fire or throw on the wall that sticks in social media or golf content, people will do it. Um, but it, but again, it, it's this whole problem where we're kind of built on these set of lies. So the USGA comes out. I'm not blaming the USGA at all or the RNA. It's, you know, I'm going to give you my pros and cons in a bit, but mm -hmm. the, the, the problem is that we don't have a distance problem across the board. There is a certain select few individuals that have a distance problem, and it's not even a problem because the PGA Tour and professional golf is entertainment. You and I go to events when, when we had to pay to go. We went and we paid our hard-earned money because – these individuals do something that we physically cannot. I physically cannot hit a ball 300 yards. I want to see that. Okay, I can't get home in two on a par four that's 480. Okay, but they can. Okay, I can't shoot eight under par and make 10 or 11 birdies in a round, but they have the ability to do that. So I'm paying to see something that I can't do because, honestly, if it was something that I could do, well, why the hell would I pay someone else to do it why would i pay to watch you know i go to professional baseball games and football games and basketball games because i'll never be able to do it at that elite level you go to the movies because you go to see someone flesh out your imagination your dreams on film right because you don't have the ability to do that um i notice this a lot too at a lot of the lessons i give right the first question is not what's your handicap Okay, the first question from new golfers is one of two things. How many hole-in-ones do you have, and how far do you hit your driver? Now, I could lie to people and tell you, hey, I've got 11 hole-in-ones, and I average 290 up the tee, but that's BS. We all know it. 
I've got one hole in one, and I probably average about 235, 245 off the tee, but I'm honest about it. So I hit a ball for these guys, like, whoa, man, that thing traveled real far. Okay, whatever, it was average. They go hit a ball, and they say, man, I must have smoked that like 250 because you hit yours like 310. No, you idiot. That's not how it goes. Okay, you literally average a buck 70 off the tee, and that's average, right? Most of your drives end up somewhere around 120, but the one that you catch downhill downwind on hard pan in the middle of the summer happened to roll 280, so it skews everything. Right, it, it's this game built upon lies. We fluff up what we can do based on ego, which is all BS. And I'm glad the USGA is is kind of calling out the top level males with that. But the problem is, guys like you and I are not gaining five, ten yards every ten years. Okay, I'm literally the only the only reason I gained yards this year, Scott, is because I went to Spargo Golf and got completely custom fit. Mm-hmm. Okay, technology ha- has not changed the last five years. Like painting a driver a new color is not new tech. But there's, nah. there's these rubes out there, these plebeians out there that believe that. You know, ooh, the Maverick is orange this year. Orange is power. That's so much better than the Sub-Zero. That's so much better. You know, it's <laughs> like, no, dude, it's a different color. Okay? Right. If, if, if they had this technology in the bank, right, then why would they release... 10 drivers 10 years in a row they would just give you the greatest driver out then say look there's no more buy this only and then they don't have to go through the r&d and the research and the check tech and all that all their stuff and the, the promotion and waste money on it. you know what i mean they give you the one top driver and be like look this is it it beats everyone you need to buy nothing else just buy this driver right yeah exactly and you know and you say you don't blame the usga uh, i don't blame them necessarily but they definitely have contributed to allowing this to happen because oh you know, sure for, you start tipping your u.s open courses out at 7300 yards mm-hmm. what are you inviting right you're inviting distance gains right and they're also the ones who are declaring golf clubs conforming and balls conforming so you know if they wanted to roll this back or if they wanted to slow it down they could have done it they all they would have done is to say, this is non-conforming. Yeah, they could have done so, it 10 to 15 so. years ago. But it's, it's like anything. It's like, how do we get the genie back in the bottle? Well, the, the answer is you can't. You know, you, you physically can't do it. So let me run down my pros and cons list for you. Because literally, Scott, I made a pro and con list. Okay? Go for it. All right, so here are my pros to the USGA distance report. Number one, it actually identified a problem. They admitted we have a problem in the game. Okay. okay. Number two, uh, the pros in this is that there were there was two years of deep conducted research. Okay, so it's not a flash in the night thing. It's not like they were like, hey, we took um, measurements from the first four tour events this year, and we've got a problem. You know what I mean? It, it's in depth. It takes some time. So I feel like right. the research is valid. That's fair. Third pro, the bifurcation of rules. Now, the USGA did not come out and specifically state that there is going to be a rule set for amateurs and a rule set for pros, which, quite honestly, I am in approval for. But they did allow local rules at courses 
if those courses indeed want to do that. And that allows courses to now say, holding a championship of any sort, that we can tell you a club specification. We can tell you a ball specification. This literally opens the door to the green shirts at Augusta, right, at the National, to say, hey, from now on at Augusta, drivers cannot be more than 400 cc. Right, you can't play a ball that spins more than you know. I, I don't know. Make something up. A thousand RPMs off the face of a driver. Right. So it's 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 allowing this. So they're not saying that bifurcation is a thing. Like like right like here's here's a rule set for amateurs and here's a rule set for pros. They're not saying that. But what they're doing is they're allowing individual courses to make their own sets of rules while conducting championships. That's a first step. So I think that's good. Um, and then the last thing, the fourth one that I really liked is that I do feel in all of this, agree, disagree, we have a distance problem, we don't have a distance problem. The USGA is looking towards the future of the game. And I do believe that they are good. Um, uh, how do I, how do I want to put it? Um, stewards they, 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 yeah i didn't want to use that word but yeah they are good stewards of the game they're 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 trying their best to say look when we are gone this leadership now in 50 to 70 years we're dead and gone right what legacy can we leave and i think the good thing about this is that they're looking at land conservation they're looking at water usage you know which which all these things factor in when you have to increase course length Okay. Yes. Uh, they're looking at a, amount of chemicals, and believe in global warming. Don't, you know, don't believe in science, and don't believe in global warming. I think the world's flat. Whatever. I'm not here to get into that. We're only talking about golf. But there is a problem in water consumption in golf. There is a problem being landlocked in golf. There is a problem with amount of chemicals pumped into courses and then back into the you know the storm water, back into the uh, aquifer that feeds these courses, you know, and it's all cyclical. So I love the fact that they're looking towards that and maybe they're just using distance as this little like bait and carrot to, to get people on board for that. Um, let me give you the cons and I'm going to have you respond to everything. Here are my cons, Scott. The game is more than just the top level males. We went over that, right? Um, I love the deep research, but the cons are it took two freaking years to create a hundred page report to say we have a distance problem. I, I, again, that, you know, I know golf changes slowly. I know things are gone over the fine tooth comb and I know the way the USGA does things is very methodical and I applaud that. But two years to come up with five words, it's a lot. Um, and then the last thing, the, the biggest con that I think I have is that amateurs at all levels, no matter what, can always use more distance. And I'm going to give you perfect examples. The guys that I see that come to lessons for me have these overinflated egos, but when I am prescribing them maybe workout plans, maybe stretches, maybe drills to do, none of them want to do that. Okay, the average male golfer wants to go out, plop 400 to $500 down, and gain 20 yards instantaneously. They're not willing to put in the hard work as far as what I've seen. You know, so... No matter what you say with this report, and, and let's say you're going to say in five years that certain drivers are non-conforming, it doesn't matter. People are still going to play it. You know what I mean? They're still going to do what benefits them the most. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
And again, we live in an instant society. So, you know, I, and, and I'm guilty of it too. You know, going out, practicing, working out, getting better, that takes time. It's hard. It's easy to go online and be like, hmm, what's well, Callaway got out? Hmm, that's pretty nice. What's well, TaylorMade got out? Hmm, that's nice too. Oh, Golf Digest says the TaylorMade one's better. Eh, 600 bucks. Okay, done. This is going to make me a better golfer. That's easy. That's the society we live in. Right. It's instant. I went online. I found what is, quote unquote, the best. And I bought it. It'll be All right. So here's, here, here's my question. You're in charge of the USGA. Okay. What, what do you, what does Scott want to see done with this report? Because the USGA has told us that in the next 45 days, a month and a half, they're going to give us some more specifications as to what they're going to do. But what, what is it that you would like to see done with this, if anything? So here's the thing. From my perspective, I don't want them to do anything. Uh, you know, I, I, one, don't think it's a problem. I mean, it is a problem, but I don't think it's a problem for me because if I could hit the ball more than, you know, 240, I'd be happy. Um, but at the same token, I've figured out how to play that game. And that puts me at an advantage of other people who are at my level who, you know, can probably maybe hit the ball past me a little bit, but still think they drive the ball 300 yards and they're a lot better than they are. So I want to keep beating those people. Um, the other thing is I, and I don't really think it's a problem on the PGA tour either because, People are still going to watch. That's what people want to see. They want to see people do things that they can't do. Like you said, it's entertainment. Um, the the other piece of that, and and I'm going to uh, you know look at what Phil had to say, is that they're not giving enough credit to golfers as athletes. There's a lot of truth to that also, uh, because these guys are in much better shape than they were, you know, 20 years ago. You know. Once Tiger came in, people started getting serious about their fitness and they started, you know, treating themselves like professional athletes. So I, there is something to be said for that also. I do think that they need to maybe roll back golf course architecture so they're not building these massive courses that take up a ton of real estate and thus a ton of chemicals and a ton of water and a ton of impact on the environment. I think that's important. Uh, and I think it's important that we preserve like these great courses that we have uh, so that the top level players can still play on them. Again, I think that having the, you know, the local rules, I think that's ultimately what I want to see come out of this. I want to see the USGA take a stand and go, OK, we are playing the U.S. Open at this golf course. Yeah, it maxes out at 7,000 yards, but we are limiting your, your equipment to something which will thus limit distance. That's what I want to see. I want to see them put their money where their mouth is, or their mouth where their money is. Mm. So here's, here's my final thought on this. We worry about – part, part of this, and maybe it's just a small subsect – but part of this is the fact that we worry so much about, like you mentioned, these great courses, these golden age courses becoming obsolete in terms of tournament golf. 
right? That's part of it. Um, mm-hmm. Let's take Marion, for example. Marion will never host another U.S. Open again. It was kind of a freak thing that they went there. Mm-hmm. They tricked the course up so much that members of Marion, when they walked it during the tournament rounds, said, this doesn't even look or resemble the golf course that we play. So even though it is a golden age course, even though it is one of the most recognizable courses with its whisk, whisk, whisker, sorry, sorry, wicker baskets, um, you trick it up in order to, quote unquote, you know, um, make it difficult for the new age pros. And then it becomes a shell of what Marion actually is, which is a shot making course, small greens, lots of undulations, a little bit of a um, of. Um, you know, visual uh, eye candy, but also deception. And it doesn't become that course anymore. But here's my overriding theme with this. Why are we so worried about changing courses for the pros? And the biggest problem is because of par, because of this made-up number, because of this word that holds this, this magical, you know, mysticism in our minds. Breaking par is amazing. Oh, going too far under par. Oh, that course is too easy. Too far over par. Oh, that course is a brute. But in reality, what does it mean? You're playing against other people of your ability level, right? Do you care, Scott, if the PGA Championship, if the U.S. Open would be won at 31 under par? No. Would that bother you? I mean, it wouldn't bother me if 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 you told me that you know, because people, um, uh, let me, let me, gosh, off the top of my head, I shouldn't have done this. I should have had this prepared. Take a, um, uh, take a, uh, let's take Shinnecock, right? One of the founding fathers of the U.S. Open. Take Shinnecock, for example. Shinnecock started off as like a 6,500-yard course. Now Shinnecock is like a 7,450-yard course, which is insane. But let's yep. say we get Shinnecock back to its original kind of um, look and everything. Yes, the shot value is going to change. The different types of shots are going to change because guys are bombing it everywhere. But what's the problem at a U.S. Open if you have 80 guys under par? You're still going to find the best player that week because the best player that week is going to shoot the lowest score. So we're worrying about this fake word of par you know, that that the golfing lords of the past have designated as par three, fours, and fives for quote-unquote certain distances and, you know, routine skill of a good golfer. I mean, why are we worried? Why not just change the par on these courses? Why not make Shinnecock a par 67? What, what you know, what, like, who, who cares? If, if you're so worried about numbers and stuff, well, there you go. That takes five strokes off a round. Yep. And that's the easy fix because, like you said, you know, there's multiple sets of tees at a lot of these courses. Real simple. Here's the, you know, we'll, we'll call them red, white, and blue. You know, here's your, your red tees. This is the distance here. This is the par. Here's your white tees. That's the distance. Here's your par. There's the blue tees. That's where the pros play. Okay. This is the distance. Here's the par. Oh, why is this par less than the par at the white tees? Because the pros can handle that. You're absolutely right. There you go. That, that, that's the easiest way to solve the problem. But no one's going to do that. You know that. Right, right. 
I mean, you know, the thing is, though, it's it's so this problem is so big. It's so comprehensive. It's it's nothing that can be solved overnight. I do, again, applaud the USGA for rolling this out very slowly. And we know that's the way golf changes. But it gives people time to, you know, bitch about it or or kind of come up with different solutions. And maybe they listen to a few of those and say, you know what, that's actually a good idea. And maybe we didn't think about that. But that's why they give it a 45-day grace period. Then they're going to do another nine months of talking to the pros, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I'm going to tell you, there's probably, there's probably very few pros that are willing to to dial back the clubs and the ball. Um, I, put a, I put a post on Instagram today. I got a great response from it. And... Uh, I just said, make the ball curve again, USGA. And the guys from Enjoy the Walk, a podcast that I listen to that I like, mm-hmm. uh, said that, well, yeah, we could do that if you want to see Tiger win by 12 every week. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I want. I want the well, best ball strikers and the guys with the most imagination like Bubba and, and, and Tiger um, and, and Rory as far as ball strikers go to, to, to be out there and to dominate. And so guys that are not as physically gifted or as mentally gifted to them and seeing a course can't just bomb and gouge their way around everywhere. So yes, I would, I would love that. Um, is it going to happen? I don't know. You know, the ball companies, the, the manufacturers for the clubs, they're lobbyists, right? It is, it, 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 it's just like politics, you know, where you have gun lobbyists and fast food lobbyists and everything, oil lobbyists, you know, they're club lobbyists. And guess what? They don't want changes. Because it affects nope. their bottom line. It affects their revenue. The ball companies don't want changes because it affects their bottom line. It affects how much money they make. Um, exactly. So I get it. I, I get, everyone's intertwined in this game. you know. And what you do doesn't just affect one person or, in this case, one set of people, the top male pros. It's a trickle down and it affects everyone. And I think that needs to be taken into consideration when you're coming up with ideas. Right. And I just want to bring up – I don't want to be- go on with this – much too much longer but you did bring up a good point or they brought up a good point with with by bringing up tiger and here here's the interesting thing is that as much as you know tiger grow grew the game by bringing all these people in his ultimate impact is this and if strangely enough this may actually be something that's hurting the game it's just because you have courses who went out and tiger proofed all the equipment companies are trying to catch up essentially to what he's able to do with the golf ball. And you end up in this situation where you have all these athletes running around playing golf. And now we have this distance problem. It's, it's, uh, it's really amazing how you really can trace this back essentially <laughs> to the start of Tiger's career. Okay. I, I want to say one thing about Tiger. Cause I'm not, I'm not blaming him at all. No, I, that that's fine. Blame or not blame, but the problem is, you know, when Augusta came out and Tiger proofed, like that was the dumbest thing that was ever done in golf because all you did was give Tiger and his other long-hitting cronies more of a chance to win. These people are idiots. Like I know I'm never going to play Augusta, so I can come out and say this. Like you are friggin' morons. You added 400 yards which completely isolated all the short hitters with great short games and gave Tiger even more of an advantage. Yet you called it Tiger proofing. Someone show me the logic on that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like he hasn't won since that first one. I have had such an issue with that since it happened. 
um, you know, in 97. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. you know what? Finally, 20 some odd years later, I have a, uh, a platform and a voice in which I can share how stupid Tiger proofing golf courses was. All right. So moving on from the USGA, Scott, let's get into Pebble. Uh, that's this week, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Uh, listen, is, is, uh, is Jordan Spieth going to find his way this week? Uh, you know what? Every week we talk about it and I say, yes, uh, no, he, he, he needs, uh, I don't know what he needs, but he needs something. Mental or physical? I think it's mental. I think if he got the mental side worked out, the physical would come easier. I could see that. I could see that. It's quite a talent. It really sucks to see such a downfall. I can't think of too many sports where somebody who was literally on a run for a Hall of Fame, uh, hell, on a run, he has a Hall of Fame career already. Um, But someone that was on that type of run just completely fell off the face of the earth. You know, it's like, uh, I, I don't know. I can't, I literally can't even think of another top athlete that had the years that he had and four major championships and all of a sudden can't make cuts. Um, it sucks. It really sucks to see. Cause I think he's a great personality. Um, him and Grella are a great combo out there. I'd love to see him. And he always does play well at at and I mean, over my shoulder, I'm looking at a, um, Jordan Spieth bobblehead from yeah. Pebble that I have, you know, it's, uh, he's synonymous with it, obviously, cause he's sponsored by AT&T, but, but it's crazy. So listen, let me get your thoughts on the format of the AT&T Pro-Am because we've gone back to back weeks, Scott, with some pretty interesting golf. We come from the waste management, the drunken debauchery, the countless hundreds of thousands of people that swarm in mass to the Phoenix desert every year to drink and then also maybe watch some golf, but mostly to drink. Um, we have one of the most exciting holes on tour. I'm not going to say greatest because it's not, but one of the most exciting holes on tour, the 16th. We had a great finish. We had Webb Simpson defeating Tony Finau. You know, I mean, he. it's not like he stole it. Finau made two pars at the end, and Finau made two birdies. I mean, uh, sorry, Finau made two pars, and Webb made two birdies. So we go from that, a great ending, another uh, overtime, if you will, playoff championship, and we come to Pebble Beach, where we go from what I feel like is such an action-packed week at Waste Management to the old kind of slow curmudgeon grind with great scenery. The amateurs are going to take six hours. They're going to suck. A few of them are going to play well. Um, They're all going to be flooded on Pebble on Saturday so they can get the great television time. Um, And then we go off and we see who ends up winning on Sunday. You like the format with the Pro-Am, like with these hacks sticking around with the pros for four days? Not really. I mean, we we, again, we we talked about this a little bit last year, I think. Um, uh, It's... I, I again I get why they do it. Um it's it's not for me and you. It's for the, you know, casual golf fan or the the person who's just going to tune in, be looking for something to watch. There's no more football on. Oh, let's watch some golf, you know. Uh, there's you know, Peyton Manning's playing. That's kind of cool. Let me check that out. Um 
But for Eli you and I, who, also playing. Yeah, well, they're yeah they're actually in the same group, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, for you and I, who one would watch golf anyway, and two are kind of annoyed by the sideshow that this is, it's kind of annoying. So that's my take With on it. it. It's, it's just annoying. I understand that. Um, I don't necessarily disagree. Once a year. I'm okay with it. It's like the waste management. Once a year, I'd be okay with it. I would not want my PGA Tour golf to be like the waste management every year. Um, Part of me would like to go one year to a practice round, but I see no fun. This is me personally. I see no fun sitting on the 16th hole on Saturday, you know, because I like to watch golf. And all you're seeing is single shots into a par three, and you're gambling and booing and whatnot. And, and that could be fun for a few hours, but I think it would wear quickly. Same thing with this gimmick week. Um, it, it wears quickly on me. You know, it's just like Zurich in Louisiana. It's cool to have a team event for a week because let's be honest, almost 52 weeks a year, we have a stroke play event. So anything out of the ordinary for me is, is kind of cool. Um, my biggest problem with the Pro-Am is the fact that these amateur celebrities, um, you know, there's there's your crop of real good household names, but then there's people at, like, the Pro-Am party that, like, not to knock them. I mean, obviously they have more recognition than us and stuff, but, I mean, I'm not sure their golf games are much better, you know? And even their recognition is 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 almost nil. Here are the pros that I came up with, Scott. Sorry, the amateurs. The amateur celebrities that I think were, you know, pretty decent. You got Eli and Peyton. You said they're playing the same group. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Like, I would watch that even if I wasn't a, a golf fan. Right? That's yeah. cool. And they're both, uh, they're both 10 handicaps. I would like to know what the action is between those two on the side. Oh, it's got to be. Yeah, it's significant. It's a good thing they're not playing with Phil. Yeah, those numbers might creep up to the six, you know, six figure mark pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the great one. You got Gretzky. He'll be playing with DJ. I'm assuming. You got Macklemore. You think uh, he's out? He's parading out there, uh, looking like uh, Chubbs from Happy Gilmore. Uh, mm. Bill Murray will he's be doing his stick. Boy, oh, Macklemore's playing with our boy Lando Lando Calrissian Griffin. Yes, I. Uh, that's actually where I saw saw it was uh, Lanto's Instagram page. Uh, wow. Bill Murray will be performing his tired routine year after year. But I mean, look, a guy that was in Caddyshack. I mean, do whatever you want, dude. You know, what I mean, guys like golf royalty at this point. Um, Alfonso Ribeiro, he'll be doing the Carlton out there. You can't do it because it is trademarked, uh, but he'll be doing it out there. Tony Romo, Aaron Rodgers, those are good. And you know who I'm actually most interested in? Justin Verlander, pitcher from the Astros. Mm. I'm wondering if on the tee boxes he's stealing what clubs people are going to be hitting into greens. Yeah, there's going to, you know, he's going to have someone like in the woods, like banging a tree, maybe. I, I like that. Or maybe banging the ball washer up and down. That's that's possibility. You get the caddy right. doing that. Yeah, two two clicks for a club up, three clicks for a club down, something like that. <laughs> um, I, 
Yeah, I bet you they do have some kind of plan worked out. So, so we ask this all the time. People ask us all the time. And actually, we pose some Instagram questions. We're not going to get to all of them. Uh, again, honestly, just appreciate the love and the amount of um, questions that we got. But this first one is relevant. It's from Mike Creed, our boy who caddies on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, Good luck in Bogota, Colombia this week. And he said, yeah. if you had to pick, if you were a pro and you had to pick a amateur celebrity to play with, who would you choose? Now, last year, you reminded me that you chose who again, Scott? Justin Timberlake and Steph Curry because I wanted to win. Okay. And let the P- and that is very, that's very on brand for you, right? Two uh, great golfers who are also interesting people. Let the people know who I pick, Scott. Uh, I, I, I think we picked two. I, I don't remember who the first person you picked was, but one of the people you picked was Hulk Hogan. Damn right. Hulk Hogan. Um, I believe my mindset was interesting person, not good at golf. Round will take longer. I get to spend more time out at Pebble. Mm. Respectable. Okay. So this year, I am going to go with Paul McCartney. Okay, you win. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll give you my reasons. Paul McCartney as a Beatle. Hold on a second. Yep. Hold on a second. You're going to actually explain why you would want to play golf with Paul McCartney. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we we have a subset (laughs) of of listeners that might not know who Paul McCartney actually is. So I would like to explain first and obviously give him his just due. Go for it. Okay. So Paul McCartney is my favorite Beatle. Um, was also my mother's favorite Beatle. And my mom and I actually got to see him in concert, which is fantastic because growing up, she never got to see the Beatles. So that was awesome. But Paul McCartney and the Beatles took a very famous photo one time of them with golf clubs. And everyone thought, oh my God, like the Beatles golf, this is going to be insane. The game is going to explode. And then they went on. They were like, no, we've never played this game at all. Uh, We have no idea. The guy who took the pictures was like, here, pose with these golf clubs. And we did. And and you can look up the picture online. They look so awkward, weird stances, all these weird poses. So I would like to talk to him about that. Um, And then obviously, I would like to talk to him about being a beetle. I would like to be serenaded out there. I have a million and one questions. The round would fly by. And he would also suck at golf. So therefore, my time on Pebble would be seven to eight hours long, and that would be amazing. Uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, my uh, my person, uh, very similar in the sense that he's you know one of the people who's clearly at the top of his chosen field uh, when when he was doing it. Uh, also, uh, unlike Mr. McCartney, this person happens to be a huge golfer. Uh, so I'm taking Michael Jordan. I like that. Do you try to kind of work your way into maybe him allowing you to play at his new course that he's building? Uh, I would definitely be doing that. Uh, you know, I would have to avoid, uh, making any kind of wagers because from what I understand, I can't afford that. Well, uh, actually, actually, Scott, go ahead. My, Michael is very famous for saying that 
He will play for whatever number makes his playing competitor uncomfortable. Mm. So if, 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 you know, like for, for you and I, I think saying gambling 50 bucks on a round of golf is that would make me a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. You know, yeah. that would make me grind maybe, you know, uh, Jason Day time frame over putts, you know? Yeah, it's a good point. So, uh, so there's that. Obviously, he, you know, he's a you know big golfer. Uh, he, uh, I just want to ask him, like, you know, listen, like, how do you under the kind of you know you know pressure? And I understand it's sports, so it's a different kind of pressure. But how do you rise to the occasion so many times in your career? I, I just think it would be a, a really interesting, you know, person to play around and golf with. Plus, it's Michael Jordan, so. How bad could it yeah. be? Yeah, there, there's that as well. No, those are I, I think those are uh, those are two good picks this year. I think they rival our picks from last year. Uh, and obviously, you're, one of your picks from last year is a hand injury, so Steph Curry wouldn't be playing this year anyway. And uh, I don't know what Hulk Hogan is currently doing or what uh, offensive phrase he's muttering these days. Um, here's here's our next one. This one is uh, this is interesting. Um, I didn't want to really get too far into or back into the USGA thing, but uh, the salty golfer, good buddy who lives down in Myrtle Beach, friend of the pod, he's got a two-part question. I'll let you decide which one you want to answer. It's actually two separate questions. The first one he says is, what's your take on introducing a ball that doesn't fly as far? Okay, so that's obviously like you know a restricted flight ball that you would see at a range. And then uh, he also said, how many people or do you use a different ball in the winter? I want to tackle that one real quick, Scott, and then we can get to the yeah, other one. That's a good one. I have an, an answer for that, too. I'm just curious what yours is. Okay. My answer is simple. I live in frigging Northeast PA, so I don't play golf in the winter. So the answer is no, I don't use a different ball. Okay. <laughs> So I, I too have not played much golf in the winter because I live in northern, the northern part of New York, um, the northern part of lower New York state. I don't live upstate New York, but I definitely live. <laughs> right. I was going to say, further, yeah, that's a good further up, Yeah. Further up in New York, let's call it. Uh, so I too don't play much golf because all the courses here are closed. However, uh, I do usually from, October until I can not play golf. And then once the, you know, course is open until I would say, I would say the first couple of weeks, the course is open. I will play a, uh, a, a less expensive ball than, you know, my average, you know, Chrome soft or pro V one. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go, you know, down a little bit and play something that's a little bit more durable uh, slash less expensive to just lose because a lot of times I'm just going out there to get swings in and I don't have the same feel anyway because my hands are usually cold. So I just kind of go with whatever I have in the bag, usually stuff I found at the end of the year or things that are just sitting around in my garage that I want to get rid of pretty much. Yeah, I'm the same exact way. Um, those first few rounds in the spring, especially because I think – what people need to understand about Northeast golf is that, you know, we have something called a mud season, 
which maybe you don't experience all around the country. And basically what that is, is it's the thawing from the winter freeze. And the fairways literally are mud. Uh, the rough is mud. Uh, the fringe of the greens are mud. Uh, tee boxes are mud. You get the drift. And so a lot of times you will have balls that plug in fairways. Uh, you will have balls that get you know very discolored and, and just pick up a lot of crap. So during that season when distance is not is – it, is it fair to say real, Scott? Does that make sense? Yes. Right? Like I'm not averaging my summer distances because there's literally no roll. It's all carry. Um, honestly, a lot of times I'll move up a set of tees because a 6,200-yard course is playing like 67 because you get no roll. So I, too, will do the same thing. Whatever crap ball is in my bag, I will use. Um, like you, I like the Chrome Soft. I like the golf, uh, the soccer ball, uh, hexagonal shaped chrome softs. You know, I've been playing the USA ones, but uh, anything else, you know, I'll I'll just take and and hit. I try not to use my. <laughs> it sounds nerdy, but I try not to use my good balls unless I'm playing. You know, like actual golf, which you know is crazy, Scott. Because the more I think about it, like the the months that we can play actual golf, it's like four months. You know, it's awful. It really is bad. Yeah, it that's definitely true. You know, it is because last last year I bought two dozen Chrome Soft to get me through the the summer, and I still have a dozen left. So, you know that that that's a pretty good thing. Yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunately I didn't play enough golf that I you know needed to get more golf balls. Right. I'll tell you one of my favorite things in the beginning of the year is going into you know, whether it's Golf Galaxy, whatever, PJ Tour, Superstore, and just loading up on balls. I always love seeing what they have, new designs and stuff like that. I, I know it's stupid because there's no new tech at all, but, you know, I just, I like buying stuff. I like buying new things. Um, but like you, I'm literally, I'm looking at my golf locker in the podcast studio here, and I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten, eighteen sleeves of golf balls in there. And I'm still looking forward to buying new ones. Like, it's stupid. You know what I mean? It's, just, it's dumb. It's a pleasure well, and, of riches. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, uh, the Chrome Soft, like the soccer ball. I, I still have a bunch left over. I actually really want to, you know, try those out this year. So I, I'm planning at some point to go pick up a dozen or two. And that'll be what I have for this year. Yeah, it's solid. Um... Well, I don't. You got anything else? I don't have anything else. For t- uh, for do you want to do picks for Pebble? Oh yeah, yeah. Picks for Pebble, Chess and Hadley. Mm, okay, that's who I'm going with. Hey, did I pick Finau for waste management? Because I really think I did. I think you did too. I just don't remember who I picked. Yeah, but but see, I don't remember if I picked him for that or if I picked him for Tory the week before. I can't remember. I- I don't know if we did picks last week. All right, let's say I did. Okay, let's go with it. Okay, I won. Yeah, I'm taking the thin man this week. Um, seems excited to be there. It's kind of his first big full field event. I really think he's going to win this year. And I feel like it's going to be kind of an out-of-the-blue type thing. And I think this place is... Uh, 
is about as random as you can get. You know what I mean? Winning just a, a, a pro-am tournament. I think it's one of those things where he might be on the radar, radar a little bit and then all of a sudden uh, has a hot Sunday round. It's either that or he misses the cut by five strokes. One or the other. Uh, okay. That's definitely possible. Uh, I'm actually going to take someone who I think might be a little bit of a, a wild card in this too. Uh, I'm kind of feeling Max Homa. Oh. I don't know if that's much of a wild card. He had a great waste oh, management. Yeah. That's the thing. He's he's bit, well. He's a wild card because he's not like a he's not like a name. Yeah, like I, I could. I, I could have said I could have said you know Paul Casey. You know he was the runner up last year. And, right. You know. Right. That yeah, that's, that's not, not going a, out of the limb. Yeah, that's not going out of the limb. Throwing Max Homa out there again. We know who he is. Uh, for a lot of people, he's, you know, Max Homa. So. I would love if Max Homa won and then roasted his own swing when they showed him the highlights of his win, like that, live on CBS. Yeah, that would be that would be classic. And that would very much be on brand for him. That would be good. Yeah, and, you know, again, you know, we said... He's got, I think, two two top tens now in his last two starts. He's he's on his way up. So yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get out of here. We're just giving people a little bit of rehash of things they can uh, purchase and ways to follow us. Right. Nothing better than buying yourself some golf gear. So you should definitely go to our bonfire store. The link is in the bio at Leave the Pin on Instagram, and we put two brand new shirts up that I designed today. One is a Masters-themed shirt. It is our Putter Pro logo in yellow on a nice green shirt, Augusta green shirt. And then we've also put up the Collegiate Collection sweatshirt, which is a great, classic, navy blue sweatshirt with the white Leave the Pin logo up front. Also, while you're at it, check out the link in our bio for the Custom Ink Augusta National Spring Collection. We've got a little Augusta National shirt going on, the patron shirt. And I think you'll really like that. Uh, follow Scott at LTP underscore. Um, Scott, what is it again? That's it. LTP underscore, underscore Scott. Scott. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. I was just make sure I didn't miss a number or anything like that. Uh, nope. Follow us at at leave the pin. And um, that's really it, my man. You know, we've got some good merch in the works. I'm actually going to get myself one of those T-shirts and sweatshirt this weekend um, before the sale runs out on Wednesday of next week. And uh, again, we'll be posting a ton of great internet content and really honestly want to thank everyone for sending in the questions tonight. And, and you know what, Scott, I'm thinking maybe one night we just throw an off, like off the cuff 30 minute pod together of just people's questions. I, I like that idea. Some of them are, are random and some of them are relevant but I think that might make for a good episode one night. I, I say we do whatever, you know. What what difference does it make? We ask random questions. Well, we'll answer random questions. We'll answer golf questions. You know, we're, you know, your golf podcast, but we're also your favorite, you know, random question podcast. Hey, there you go. Uh, anything else for the good of the order, my friend? Uh, I have nothing. Um, you know, this was pretty good. 
Fair enough. All right, people, you know the drill. Either get busy golfing or get busy dying. See you soon.